Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Lee Battle and I'm a minister with the United Reformed Church, where I currently serve in an ecumenical setting in Cardiff. Each week, I am joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I am so pleased to introduce to you the Reverend Dr. Susan Durber. Susan is a minister with the United Reformed Church. She is also the moderator of the Faith and Order Commission of the World Council of Churches and also the World Council of Churches president from Europe. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And so I wonder, politics in the pulpit, I wonder what that means for you. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and whether or not you see yourself as a pulpit politician? Well, I think politics in the pulpit means that the gospel, the faith we hold, concerns all the big issues that really shape our, our lives and our world, and in ways that affect us all deeply. And I think I would say that I'd be wary of preaching in ways that are kind of about politics. You know, there's a kind of temptation that you can speak about politics as though it's something out there. And yeah. I would always want to try and connect it with the real lives of the people who are sitting in front of me. Mm. And I've, I've heard it said that some preachers perhaps focus on the internal dialogue with God, our spirituality, our sense of needing peace and forgiveness and redemption. And other preachers might focus on, you know, the big things like justice uh, and peace but I think it's vital to hold all those things together. Yeah. Um, I, I was fascinated to read once a New Testament, a book about the New Testament, which suggested that when we see all those um, stories about demon possession, mm. that they're actually stories about people being wounded and traumatized by the political environment in which they live. Oh. So it, it kind of emerges in that way in terms of, terrible human pain and dislocation. And yeah. I think you might say the same might be true of today, though it emerges in different forms. Mm. So I, I guess I'm interested in the ways that the big things of the world impact on our individual lives. Yeah, and It's a bit like that the work I do at the moment combines living in a, in a village in Somerset, okay. small community of people, but also being part of the World Council of Churches and so meeting people from all over the world. Yeah. So I feel sometimes as though I'm in alternately in the really big space and in yeah. the little space and, and trying to hold them together and show how those interconnect um, yeah. is a vital part of what I try to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so from, I guess, those two drastically different contexts what would you want us to hear as the key justice issues and political events that really affect your preaching and and, and your work at the moment mm. well I um, mean the biggest issue 
for the World Council of Churches at the moment, the biggest issue among many is climate change. Mm. Finding a way for the churches to work together um, to address, to understand, um, and to campaign uh, in relation to the climate crisis that we're in at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Mm. And again, that relates to my life in this little rural context where every day I'm taking the dog for a walk in the natural world and being involved in supporting our community woodland. Um, so again, holding together the big picture and, and the little one and, and trying to understand how they relate to one another. Yeah. 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 But also I think the economic questions are, yeah. are huge at the moment. And again, I hear people in this actually quite relatively wealthy and secure Somerset village worried about the cost of living. Yeah. Many of them on fixed incomes um, or struggling to bring up a family. Mm. And I also have in my head the experience of people I know in Zimbabwe, for example, where inflation is not 10%, but 80 something percent. And sometimes yeah. it's been even more than that. Mm. You know, so and trying to trying to hold together the sense of we belong to this big and complex world where economic systems impact on all our lives and, and how, yeah. how we're part of that together. Yeah. And, and somehow enabling, encouraging uh, that sense of solidarity yeah. with people in the place where I live day by day and yeah. the, place, the place, in a sense, where I work and the people mm. I meet from all over the world. And holding oh, those together is immensely challenging and it yeah I was just that is such um it's such a lot to hold internally that sense of small and big but yeah. uh, but also how they do relate to each other and and how one affects the other yeah um absolutely. in and the backdrop like, of climate change as well hmm. is is really huge, I imagine, for you. It is, yes. And what I, what I want to resist is, you know, the temptation is to kind of get frustrated with people here who have a kind of very local. Yeah. Theme. Um, but you know that's perfectly understandable why people. Of course, it is. Theme. Yeah. It's the, it's the context in which we live, and and I have that local view, too. You know, yeah, go yeah. to the village shop and think, oh gosh, I've spent more this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We're all being shaken. Yeah. Um, the kind of the difference in what's around us, in a sense, is is academic because we are all being shaken and challenged in a way that matters to each individual as well as each community, as well as the world around us. Mm it's an awful lot to hold on to. Um, and, and each week I ask my colleagues at JPIT for a little roundup of their expertise and what they think we might want to keep an eye on in the world this week. And so some of the key issues are, um, we now have a new prime minister, Rishi Sunak, who's now appointed a new cabinet. And so, um, we're praying for perhaps some stability in our politics in this country. Um, 
but also seeing how uh, the opposition parties manage this and uh, under the shadow of a call for a general election, um, holding lots of that around us today. Um, we also have just the ongoing war in Ukraine, which mm. I guess becomes easy to forget in when we're all tackling other things ourselves. Um, the midterm elections are coming up in the United States and, and that will always dominate our news. Uh, we also have the beginning of COP27 as well. So climate change very much um, on the world stage again. Mm. Um, the key church dates, we will have come to the end of uh, Black History Month, but on the 6th of November, we have the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And so, Susan, with our metaphorical newspapers in one hand, let's open our Bibles. And I wonder if there's a particular place you'd like to start or a theme or a question that has jumped out for you from the readings this week that you'd like mm. to start with? Yeah, well, there was something very powerful that struck me, um, that the Haggai reading, this tiny little book, and, and yet it's it's one that's very easy to date because it relates to very specific historical events. Yeah. But it, it relates to this story of the people have been liberated from exile and they've come home and the home looks pretty grim. That You know, the yeah. temple's destroyed, uh, there's a lot of rebuilding to do, and they're demoralized. And the prophet, Haggai, I think is wonderful because he tries to lift their sights to something higher and broader. Yeah. And so often in our politics at the moment, the debates are all about, you know, what percentage will tax be? Yeah. Uh, or what will interest rates be? Rather than what, what is it we're looking to achieve? You know, what is it we're hoping for? What is yeah. the society, the world, uh, the kind of community we want to create? And I think what, what Haggai does is what Walter Brueggemann calls, he has this prophetic imagination. Yes. And so he can imagine a different world, a better world. Yeah. And he says to these people who are no doubt suffering from a kind of corporate um, trauma and stress yeah. disorder, he's saying to them, it's all right, God is with you. There will be a better world. You will be prosperous. It yeah. will be good again. And yeah. I, I think uh, we need, I long for politicians who would be able to encourage us with that bigger vision of yes. what we're doing all this economic adjustment for. Mm. What kind of society is it that we want to create? And it seems to me that we've lost that in... In, in most of our political parties, we've lost that kind of bigger vision. Yeah. So that's what I long for and what I wanted to celebrate about, um, about Haggai's wonderful prophetic imagination. I mean, I yeah. can just imagine those people coming back from exile, um, you know, having been through this terrible experience and then coming home and finding it all in ruins. Yeah. And, and it reminded me a bit of, I mean, I, I'm too young to remember this, but I kind of lived in the aftermath of the end of the Second World War. Okay. I still remember there being bomb sites around which were unreconstructed. 
Mm. And, and I read a book recently about council housing after the Second World War and how okay. politicians were so excited and driven by the, the hope of building a better world out of these ruins that yeah. were there after the war. And I think in a way we need something as an imaginative and as, um, you know, as creative. We need that sense of we can build a better world and, and this sense yeah. of who we're building the world for and what it's going to be. You know, one of, one of um, safety and security and more equality. Um, so we need something like that prophetic kind of imagination. Yeah. So that was really the reading that I really that really struck me as yeah. being uh, it somehow spoke in, into this desperate political situation that we're in at the moment in this country, let alone the rest of the world, where we, mm. it feels as though we're picking over the bones, you know, rather than saying, no, we can build something better. Yeah, yeah, they've they've kind of done this very human thing, haven't they? And and after uh, trauma um you want to return to something safe and mm. something that's known and they've got back and it's not there and I I can imagine how traumatizing that was for them as well that you know there was this great temple and and you know it it's very kind of Haggai says you pro you never saw it anyway you know you weren't this wasn't your generation's temple um you nobody had sight of it and so why do you crave it but it is that sense of when everything else is all so up in the air and so unsafe that we we try desperately to cling on to a time that felt safe and that felt mm. prosperous and and with Haggai and uh, the reading with Luke as well, I think we see these movings of time in these readings. This this was the past. This was how it was done. But that's not our present and it's not your future either. Um, and, and I think there's something really evocative, but how in a sense, we don't have that prophetic imagination anymore on our public stage and how desperately it's needed is mm. that if is somebody to weave hope of a promise of something beyond where we are now um, that is better in a sense than where we've come from or mm. it's very... It spans such a long time, doesn't it? But I think what Haggai does really well is kind of is a little bit sympathetic to why they'd feel like that. But actually, no, this is not now. This is mm. not your thing now. You will have a temple, but it is not going to be the temple of Solomon anymore. Mm. Yes, and you really can understand that longing yeah or, you know that nostalgia for the past that does feel comforting yeah but actually we need what we need is a vision for the future yeah yeah and we do see that in our in our even as you mentioned with the council houses with this you know with social housing there is that sense of longing for that 
post-war security that came about from so many council houses being built, um, but that then was lost in the right to buy scheme. Um, and yes, that understanding of we're never going to replicate that again, we're never going to be able to because we're not in the situation or the circumstances that allowed for that to happen anyway now. Yes, um, our, our future can't be that post-war future. And I, no. and I think part of what we see around us is, is a collapse of that post-war vision in a yeah. various ways. I mean, the World Council of Churches even came out of that post-war optimism oh, okay. and hope. It was founded in 1948. You know, it was a kind of ecclesiastical uh, United Nations. Mm. And yeah, now there's a, a loss of that sense of confidence in, in that kind of vision. So we need something a bit different. Yeah, the world hasn't quite gone as we thought it would. Um, it never does, does it? No. <laughs> no. But we need, we need people who can lift, <clears throat> lift our eyes and our hopes yeah. to dream again. Yeah, yeah and, and I think that's where people like um, Obama was so wonderful for the world, was that he did have that prophetic voice about him that was both grounded in the now but not afraid to talk about something beyond our now that's different and I think mm. it was really interesting what you said about the you know we are you're absolutely right I think in a degree stuck in that post-war narrative about what the NHS is as well and you know we're we're all looking for a surety that's that's actually really not there anymore um and, and I think this passage takes us uh, really beautifully on that journey. I think Haggai takes us with him um, in that sense of, hold on, something is coming. Mm, yes, absolutely, yes. And, and that takes great courage, doesn't it? To not just to get, get down in the negativity and the hopelessness, um, but to be the voice that that finds finds hope, mm. and of course it's got to be hope in the right place because we all know that sometimes in those situations where people are so demoralised and traumatised, like in Germany after the First World War, yeah, you know, that 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 kind of searching for a new kind of hope can go in a very bad um, and dangerous direction. Yeah. So we need hope that is based in, in something, in those good values, you know, of um, creating a society where all can participate, mm. um, where there's more equality, where there's more opportunity. Yeah. Um, all of those things. Yeah. I feel so incredibly grateful that I was part of a generation who had enormous opportunities. Mm. Uh, and I, I look at my grandchildren and I, I think, it, it feels a bit different for them. Yeah. Um, I would lo love to open up the world a bit. Yeah. Uh, and although it feels different, I think you're right. We can't fall into that sense of that different automatically equals worse. Mm. Um, that there is a sense of what having faith is is in part an active part of you that looks forward and trusts that difference and change doesn't mean 
um, necessarily that it's all going to go wrong. It's just going to be different. And mm. there's still hope in that. And there's there's still um, people's desire to be in community with each other. And, and if anything, we might draw that back and, and gain that sense of what it is to need to be involved with each other and, and need to work together. Because I think, you know, we have to a degree lost that we've become very individualistic both in our faith and in our lives and and now I think post-pandemic or well nearly as post-pandemic as we are we realize the strength that we have in community and I think there's enormous hope that we can take from that and of course there are many communities countries places around the world where they haven't lost that sense yeah. of community and, and the vital, um, you know, the vital thing for human flourishing of being part of good and healthy communities. Yeah. There are other yeah. places in the world where I think we can see communitarianism gone, you know, into yeah. a dangerous place. I mean, I look at the, uh, the, chi the, the Chinese gathering of politicians that we saw last week and I, I, it fills me with terror. Yeah. And then I start to think individualism's, you know, is on to something so, yeah. so we, yeah we need it we need to be wise about how we balance our our lives as individuals and our flourishing within communities mm. but yeah across the world there are very different expressions of that yeah from which i think we all we can all learn yeah and and so i guess moving on to uh possibly luke mm. um What's the good news that you see in that passage? Or is it a passage that we can kind of double down and learn from? Well, again, I thought it was, a, you know, this story about the, um, the woman who's married to the, the seven brothers, one after the other, and they all die and she marries the next brother. And then, then they ask, you know, in heaven, who is she married to? Mm. And I think, again, it's a passage that betrays a lack of imagination. It, it's as though... You know, and Jesus says, well, in heaven, yeah. relationships are different. Yeah. In the world that God is bringing, uh, a woman isn't the property of seven different men. Uh, you know, it, it's a different kind of way yeah. of relating. So mm -hmm. in, in heaven, they're more like angels. They're neither given in marriage nor, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different kind of world that yeah. we're thinking about for the future. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it challenged all sorts of, you know, it challenges yeah. models of marriage. It challenges how we think about what, what it means to be a human being. Yeah. Um, and it challenges those who just want to stay with, well, the world is like this. So how do I trip someone up in an argument? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and for me, there's that, you know, that sense of um, it it being a challenging passage as a female to, mm. to, to read and look at, knowing that um, this passage probably would never have been written about a man because it, it simply wouldn't have been an issue, perhaps, if it, if it was a man that was marrying seven times. But also it highlights 
the lack of choice that that women and girls still have in in places across the world in our country as well um and how difficult it is to be a woman in in that time and how that is the thing that's used um it, it to try and trap Jesus into to saying the wrong thing or mm. um and and how that's still the case you know we see Harvey Weinstein again coming into court about the the whole me too movement and 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 just how you know the woman all is is almost incidental in it and and how that is still something that we have to talk about and and we have to highlight the issues of of women and and girls mm. across the world and and still they're like you know we see in Afghanistan as well and Iran as well um just how much their voices are silenced mm. Yes, and I, I mean, it, it, the story is predicated on a culture where, you know, a woman couldn't be unmarried. So, you know, it's a kind of culture that says, well, if her husband dies, then she's passed on to his yeah. mother. And mm. then she might, if she has any children, they might be counted as belonging to the first man. I mean, it, yes, it's a very alien system to us and a, and a system which I suppose, you know, was designed to try and say, well, the, the woman will be looked after. Mm. She won't be abandoned because to be a woman on your own was even worse yeah. than to be married. But yes, mm. it, 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 you know, we're not, does the woman have any choice about this? You know, no, yeah. it's just a, it's just how the world, how the world worked and how yeah. it still works. In some yeah. Ways. Yeah. And, and there is that, I think that wonderful separation of ages in this story again, you know, the Sadducees looking back to what was Old Testament law in order to, to trap Jesus into saying something that went against that and into something more modern, but also the aspect of what it's like ahead of us as well what salvation looks like what what we look like beyond all of this and and there is that like Haggai I found that sense of hope at the end of of this will all be different but it will all be okay too hmm. yeah and I mean this we have to remember too that this was an argument between different Jewish at the time, understandings of the afterlife. So it's not, it's not yeah. a Jewish view and then a Jesus Christian view. It's a, this yeah. is an inter-Jewish thing. And the Sadducees, you know, were trying to, trying to make it clear that an, an idea about the afterlife that we just carry on in the next life is yeah. ridiculous. And, yeah. and they're kind of right about that, that it doesn't work that we just meet up with who we were married to before. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, it's not that they're completely stupid. It's no. it's a kind of, um, you know, there is a question about well, what what does it mean to talk about life, yeah, beyond, beyond death, yeah, and, uh, and, and that whole is saying in a way, yes, of course that's absurd to to say, well, who then is she married to? But you know, the next life or the transformed life is not something that we can yet see. No, so you know. 
But I, I think I'd always be wary of saying, you know, the Old Testament says this and Jesus says that, because, mm. you know, what he's what he would want to say about marriage would be uh, would be grounded in that Old Testament witness and what he would say about life beyond this earthly life um, mm. it is also grounded in in that faith in which he was yeah. completely shaped. Mm. So. Yeah, but that's slightly, I guess, different understanding of how but also it's still kind of similar in that generational understanding of living on through generations and and beyond that and that still very much influences um certainly if I think to uh, funerals and things like that that we take it very much still influences our I guess times of testing with these things um is is how how we all kind of yeah we all just understand it differently despite it being rooted out of the same uh culture and space mm. yes and, and yeah and I think lots of people want to say you know in death they'll be reunited with their loved one um and yeah maybe you know maybe Jesus is saying that's not quite how you know we don't know what the next life is like mm. it's not going to be just a repeat of this one yeah um, it's it's something else yeah and, and and it requires a kind of imagine it's that imagination again that we're not it does uh, yeah we're not yeah. capable yet you know we, we, it's really hard to imagine what life being faithful to our to the life we've lived and yet you know being expanded whatever it is what that will look like what that will be like yeah yeah I mean it's in like... the middle ages it was interesting people thought in the middle ages you would be uh in the risen life you'd be 33 because that would be you know, oh that, that's the ideal age because that's the age that Jesus reached so uh we'll all be 33 in the next life yeah you know, I wow. mean that's clearly you know, and who is who is the real me? Is it the me I am now at sixty-two, or is it the me I was when I was eighteen? You know. Yeah. Um, and I think Jesus is is sort of saying, try not to worry about that. You know, in in yeah. heaven, in whatever comes next, it'll be so different. Yeah, and and how it is, like you said, rooted in our own experience. I remember reading, is it David Cornick? in his work of reform when he was given a, a diagnosis um, and how he faced that di that terminal diagnosis and, and, and faced these questions that are for us quite far away, but suddenly become very imminent when mm. you're faced with things like that or when we see your fa our families faced with things like that. And it is... It, it feels very much like both the passages that we're looking at acknowledge that holistic side of how we live life, both in, you know, spiritually and mentally. And it, we live it in the past and we live it in the present. And um, how we live in the present is kind of determined on how much hope we can bring in to to where we are and and 
and the importance, such the importance of having a prophetic voice to lead, uh, to lead people and to weave hope into our existences. Yes, I mean, you, you kind of feel that the Sadducees who were asking these questions, it was kind of a, a theoretical question, yeah. a sort of an undergraduate essay question, you know, so she's married, <laughs> you know, who will she be married? But, but there are, you know, moments in our lives where those questions become really vital, really close to us. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then what do we say? Yeah, just just as we're doing now with climate change, mm. you know, these questions were far away, uh, you know, within our generation, we were mm. not having to ask the questions of what we've done and how do we now um, change, change things and, and try and secure our planet for our future generations yeah. to come. I remember being in a discussion when I worked at Christian Aid where we realised that it was really difficult to talk about climate change as a justice issue because it was mainly about people far away and it was about the future. Mm. Now, that was only, I don't know, nine years ago I was having that discussion, but now it doesn't yeah. feel far away. In You know, it's affecting us here and yeah. it doesn't feel far in the future. It's absolutely immediate. Yeah. So, yeah, but again, we we lacked somehow the imagination to to recognise how serious it was yeah. until it actually started impacting on us, and we were too yeah. hot in the summer, and our our country was on fire. Yeah, it's so, it's amazing, isn't it, how our inability to listen until it becomes until it becomes our story, mm. um, and until it, you know. And never did we think we'd sit in 40 degree heats in this country. But yet, yeah, here we've been this year and yeah. and 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 the fires and, and things like that across the globe. And and a lot of that is to do with media that we can actually see the far away things now mm. that are happening, but just our reticence to take action until it is part of our imagination and it is part of our human stories mm. as we are um yeah yes yeah we we lack that kind of imagination again to, yeah. to see what's coming over the horizon and yeah. and also you know we need the imagination to to recognize that there are things that we can do as a world together yeah um, and cop 27 has to has to rise to that. Yeah, let's um, let's hope and pray that yeah. it does. I Thank was you. so glad that last night on the ten o'clock news, um, it was it was climate change that was the first item. Oh, um, wonderful! And, and the, you know, um, the UN talking about this, and, and that's that's where it needs to be. Yeah, it does. It does. And we're so dominated mm. by our politics that that we forget the world around us and. Mm you know, in a sense, why politics exists, that becomes secondary to to the actual politics and policies of the day. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Susan, for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom and reflections with us today. And thanks to the rest of you for joining us to ask whether or how we should preach politics in our pulpit this week. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave a review wherever you watch or listen to it and share this episode with your friends. We love to have an ongoing conversation with our listeners about faith and politics. So do join in on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit or on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team Facebook page and on their website, jointpublicissues.org.uk. And so the question from this week's readings that we leave you with, where do you hear prophetic voice? Where is it that you think we need prophetic voice? And is your voice the one to be prophetic? If you want to join in with that, please do let us again know on our Twitter or on our Facebook page. And so let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with this blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Well,